Hey, welcome. I hope your New Year's resolutions are going well so far. Uh, hopefully better than mine. Uh, my w- I started a diet on January 1st, and uh, my wife, it did not go well by day five, which was interesting. My wife sent me this meme, which we'll have on the screen. I don't know if you could read this. It says, day five of my New Year's diet. And it's Michael Scott eating cheese balls directly from the container with cheese all over his lips and his jacket there. Uh, That was like day five for me. So I hope your New Year's resolutions and your New Year's diets are going better than mine were. But if you made New Year's resolution to go to church in 2022, you're doing great so far. So congratulations, you have made it. Next week, as Brittany said, thank you, Brittany, for your prayer. For uh, Thank God for our 15 years for me and Amanda. That means a lot to me. Um, Next week, we're also really excited. That'll be our third birthday. So Brittany did pray correctly. We once were a Bible study in my living room. Then we grew to two Bible studies. Then now we have moved and shaken things up in three years, and we're here. So praise God for that. So next week, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to start a new series in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to take a special offering, which we do every year, is to put some money away for a future church plant because we don't desire just to plant one church but to plant a few churches. And so I'm going to talk about today, I'm just going to kind of set some vision for 2022, and then I'm going to talk about more of this next week at the brunch, so I hope you'll join us for that. But as I was thinking about the vision for 2022, I, I was drawn to this, the idea and this thought and in, my, in my experience that in my house, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but in my house, I'm typically the first one up. And when I do get up, it's often dark. And that's not typically a problem because I can turn on a lamp and I might disturb Amanda a little bit, but the kids are in another room, so it's not that big of a deal. But a couple weeks ago, my family and I went to Lancaster. We took a small trip to Lancaster. That's Lancaster for you guys, not Lancaster, as some people like to say. It's Lancaster. We went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We made a trip out there, and we stayed in a hotel room that had blackout curtains, which I've always been a fan of because uh, they make my kids sleep in more. Uh, they don't see the sun come up. But you know how it is when it's really dark, and you're in a place you haven't slept in. Right? You wake up. You're kind of all disoriented. You don't know what's going on. You're like, you wake up in the middle of the night like, where am I? That was exactly kind of like what happened when I woke up in the morning. So I woke up in the morning, and I decided I'm up before everybody. I'm going to read my Bible and pray here in the dark. Uh, I'll use my phone so I can read it on the screen, and it'll be no big deal. But first, I'm going to get dressed. And I decided to get dressed with the lights off and with blackout curtains, and it was a disaster, right? Like, my jeans were on backwards at one point, right? Like, I'm not part of the 90s hip-hop group, crisscross. Like, I, my, you know, my back pockets were in the front. My front pockets were in the back. It was, like, a complete mess. I'm, like, bumping into things. I'm hitting my knee. I'm tripping over stuff, right? There's all, I'm just completely disoriented. It was absolute disaster. So I had no choice but to turn on the light. So I wouldn't, you know, like, go out the rest of the day with my pants on backwards. I had to turn on the light so I could see. We are in a very difficult, dark time in the life of the American church. Particularly the past five to six years, I would say, have felt like we're getting dressed in the dark. 
we witnessed the people of God in the United States of America turn on each other, divide over political differences. We've seen some Christians, those who claim the name of Jesus, who are better Americans than they are Christians, are better Republicans than they are Christians, are better Democrats than they are Christians. You can't mention masks or vaccines without somebody freaking out, and so you get pro-mask or anti-mask churches, or you get pro-vax or anti-vax churches, and we end up gravitating to these churches, not that uphold the Apostles' Creed, not that hold the Bible as God's word, but who uphold our political or other ideologies. And so what's happening is Christians, people claim the name of Jesus in America, do this thing where we've seen this too, and they dig on the internet, or they go to churches, or they go to their own church, and they look for boogeymen. They're just waiting for their pastor, who's believed the Bible, who's been a God-fearing man since Jesus called him, to say something that sounds progressive so we can crush him and ruin his reputation and tell people they should leave his church. All of this as if that's what we're supposed to be about. And the American church is just beating herself up. We don't need the world to beat us up. We beat ourselves up. And many of us have felt beat up, hurt, exhausted because of it. And our world hasn't gotten any brighter because of it. In fact, it's gotten darker. And my fear for you, my fear for liberty, is that if we don't turn the lights on, we'll walk out on the mission of Jesus with our clothes on backwards. And now we're not just talking about clothes, we're talking about the armor of God on backwards. So you and I, what we need here at Liberty is we need to be realigned to the gospel. Right? If you take your car and your tires are not aligned, you need them realigned to drive on the road. We need to be realigned to the gospel of Jesus. Live the life we should have lived. Died the death we deserve to die. Rose again from the dead and given us life everlasting and sends us on mission. It puts us in a family. It, it gives us life with God forever. We need to be restored. We need to be refreshed. We need to be renewed in who God is and who we are in that story. So every year we pick a word to focus on. Last year the word was devotion. This year the word is going to be renewal. What I want for you this year is renewal. What I want for you this year is that you would turn on the light, that I would turn on the light, and that we would be renewed personally. That we would be renewed collectively. That we'd be renewed spiritually and we'd be renewed missionally. We need to know who we are, what we're about, and where we are going. And we need to be renewed in what the gospel is and how that plays out in our lives and our world. Liberty, the way we spell it is not just because we think we're cool and like it's like boys to men with a Z at the end of boys and a number two. 
The reason it ends with the I is because it means, in Latin, it means freed people. We want everyone. Not just me. Not just you. We want everyone who comes in contact with liberty, comes in contact with one of us to experience the freedom that only Jesus brings. And so we need a renewed vision of what God in Christ has freed us from and to if we're going to do what he's freed us for. We need to figure out what God and Jesus has freed us from and to before we decide what he's freed us for. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about that, what Jesus has God and Jesus has freed us from and to and for, and I want to then talk about a little bit at the end what I want Liberty Northeast, what we want Liberty as leaders, Northeast, to be focused on this year. So first, look at verse 1 in Ephesians 2. And if there's Bibles in the pews if you want to follow along. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Who's Paul talking to here? Paul is the writer, uh, the author of this letter. It's a letter written to Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus was the southwestern corner of present-day Turkey. And in Ephesus, Ephesus was filled and steeped in idol worship. And it's particularly idol worship to Artemis, who's the goddess of fertility. So what happens in Acts chapter 19 is we see Paul preaches in Ephesus every day for two days. Years. And a ton of people start to follow Jesus, right? The light is turned on in their darkness, and they don't need their idols anymore. It's like, we follow Jesus now. We don't need these idols made of hands. And so what do they do? They destroy them. They get rid of them. They throw them in the trash. And they stop buying them. And what happens in Acts chapter 19 is that the local silversmith union gets upset about this. Like, all these people now believe in Jesus. They're not buying our silver idols anymore. And they incite a riot. They're upset. Why? Not because God has freed these people and they want to be freed too. But because the gospel has now affected their bottom line. Like, isn't that the case for many of us? We're all about Jesus until Jesus asks us to change our spending. We're all about Jesus. We'll tolerate Jesus. He's cool as long as he doesn't tell me what to do with my wallet. As long as it doesn't affect my wallet. As long as he doesn't touch my bank account. And so they freak out and they incite this riot. But everything works out in the end, thankfully. And Paul eventually leaves Ephesus to continue spreading the gospel around the Roman Empire. But then problems start to pop up in the Ephesian church. So Paul gives them a renewed vision. Paul's goal is here to give them a renewed vision of what God and Christ has freed them from. And two, if they're going to be on mission together in Ephesus for Jesus. So they need a renewed vision of what he's freed them from. Two and four. And if you look back again in verse one, what we're freed from, to verse three, Paul says this 
right? He's renewing their vision. He's focusing them in here. And he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at, the work, in the, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Followers of Jesus have been freed from spiritual death. That's what Paul says. So Paul gives them, the Ephesians, a new, a renewed vision. But how he does it, he starts by telling them that they were dead in sin. See, due to Adam's sin in Genesis 3, everyone inherits a sin nature. Right, I, th- I see how, like, in the 21st century, you might be skeptical of that, and you might be like, well, that's not fair. Like, Adam's sin, why should I inherit that sin? But you inherit a lot of things, right? You might inherit red hair or brown eyes or bad teeth, right? You did nothing to get those things. No one else has inherited bad teeth except for me, obviously. I can tell by the way I'm looking around the room. I did nothing to inherit bad teeth, but I got bad teeth. See, you were born, I was born spiritually dead, not spiritually sick, not spiritually struggling, spiritually dead, Paul says. And not only that, Paul says, starting verse 2, the devil reigned over us. St. Augustine, who's a Christian who lived in the 4th and 5th century, he said, we're like, all of us are like a horse with a rider. And we're all born with the devil as our rider. So you and I are born like a horse. We'll run and run and run and we'll smell the grass. We'll see the sunshine and we'll feel the wind in our hair. And it all will give us this sense of freedom. But we have a rider on our backs who keeps us in captivity and puts us on his course. And we'll always go the way of the rider. He'll move us where he wants us to move. And he'll lead us to life, through life, where he wants us to go. And the way he wants us to go. So in our natural state, we're born in the sin and our rider is the devil. And the course he puts us on has us running away from God. And we continue to sin because of it. And he has us running toward our own destruction and destruction that leads to further destruction in our world. So we're running freely, but we're running freely on a course that will lead us straight into hell. And because of that, Paul says we were by nature children of wrath. See, because God is loving, he can't ignore sin. He can't ignore your rebellion. He can't ignore when you resist him. He can't ignore the fact that you're running through life away from him. He can't ignore the course that you're on. He can't ignore who's your rider. He can't ignore when you ignore his shouts warning you that you're running straight towards a cliff. And you're destroying yourself and the world in the process. God, because he's loving, can't ignore sin. Because our sin threatens what God loves most. You and me. And our world. 
See, it's unloving for me as a father to ignore when my kids are doing something that will hurt them or our family. That's unloving. In fact, it's loving for me to punish my kids when they do things that will hurt them or that will hurt our family. So all of us are on this course. All of us are sinning and we're doing these things. Before Jesus, we're doing these things that are hurting ourselves and hurting our world. And God, because he's loving, can't ignore that. And you might be here today and you're like, look, I'm a pretty good person. Sure, like I mess up things every once in a while. Like what's the big deal? Like aren't you overreacting, Evan? Like won't God just weigh up all the good that I've done and let it slide? But I think we do that mostly. It all ends up boiling down to problems with comparisons. You're good compared to who? And to whose standards? See, what we usually like to do is we like to lower the bar of God's standards to the height that we can jump over. So we try to lower it as far down as we possibly can so we can jump over it. Not to mention that we often raise it for everybody else. That's another sermon for another day. But we like to lower it for ourselves as low as we possibly can. Right now in our world, the worst thing you can be in our society is a Nazi. It's the worst thing you can be, right? We can't agree on anything, but we can all agree that you don't want to be a Nazi. But unless you're, like one of the, you're actually part of like the small number of card-carrying Nazis in our world, no one really is a Nazi. So is that the standard? Well, like as long as you're not a Nazi... God's cool with you. Okay, but what if you're a murderer or a sex offender, but not a Nazi? What about that bar? Is that where the bar is? Is God okay with that? Should God let that slide? You're like, sure, like, I might kill people occasionally, but overall, I'm a pretty good person. And you might be here like, all right, like, look, we're not murderers, we're not Nazis, that's extremes. But I would still ask you, like, by what standard? By what standard does God judge you? So if it's not God's standard, it must be your standard. So let's try your standards for a second. Just roll along with me here for a second. Your standards, my standards, are revealed by what we get angry or upset about when others don't do those things. That's our standards. Just plain and simple. When somebody gets up, you get upset at somebody else for doing something, that's your standard. So let's take punctuality for instance, right? You're like, I'm a very punctual person, right? You might have grown up in a family. You believe like if I'm five, if I'm not five minutes early, I'm late. And if everybody else in the world was just on time, the world would be a better place. So that's, and I get angry at anybody who shows up late. That's my standard. Or maybe it's truth, 
right? You're like the guy who's like, oh, like I always tell people the truth, like no matter what. I don't care if it hurts them, if they get angry, whatever. Like I'm the guy who tells the truth every time. Okay. Maybe that's your standard. Or maybe the person who's kind. Like, look, kindness is my standard. As long as we're all kind to each other, that's good. That's the standard. And I get upset at anybody who isn't kind. Or maybe your standard is being an involved parent. Like, I'm at everything my kids do. I'm at their school. I'm at their, like, all their soccer games. I'm all at their t-ball games. Like, I'm super involved. Like, we don't even watch TV in my house. Like, we, we don't even have TV because we just, like, I just want to be involved in my kid's life. I know my kids hate me for it, but I got, I'm involved. I'm an involved parent, unlike those parents. And if certain sections of our society had more dads around or had more nuclear families, like, they would also be like me and meet the standard. But if God were to judge you on your standards, the things you value, would you even pass the test? I would dare to say you don't even match up to your own standards. So if your standard is punctuality, have you, like, never been late? Not even once? For no excuse. Like, you have no excuse. You just were late. Or truth. Like, have you actually never lied? Or even, like, fudged the truth or just held back the truth? Like, if truth is your standard, have you ever just, like, fudged truth a little bit? Like, maybe on your taxes you said you made less than you actually did? Or what about kindness? Like, have you never gone off on somebody in traffic? Or you attributed, have you never attributed sinister motives to someone who votes differently than you? You've never done that? Or being an evolved parent, you're telling me that even though you didn't have to go to the bathroom, you've never locked yourself in the bathroom or stayed in there longer than you actually had to to avoid your kids, like me? Like I'm the only one? Or you never have plopped them in front of the TV just so you could think to yourself and hear your own thoughts for a second? You never done that? I remember my grandfather telling me a story about a man who said, hey, his name is Evan, too. He said, hey, Evan, I'm going to let you know, like, I've achieved sinlessness. He said, I think you struggle with pride. <laughs> like, why would you tell me if you're sinless? Why would you come brag about it? See, even our own standards we don't meet up to. See, your and my hearts are so turned away from God and on the wrong course that we can't even match our own standards, let alone God's. And God's standards are what matter. See, no matter how good you think you are, your good works can't hold up under the weight of God's standards. Can't. Your good works under God's standards are as good as a spider web trying to catch a boulder. It's just not going to happen. You need someone good enough so insanely good enough to catch the boulder before it crushes you. 
You need another rider and another course. You need to be freed from sin and to something else. And then Paul says these amazing words starting in verse 4. After setting up such a dramatic, dark situation, he says, but God. Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, we are freed from being spiritually dead to being alive in Christ. See, Paul says in verse 1, you once were this way, but you're not any longer. Why? Verse 4, but God. Like if there's never, like there, I don't know if there's a better two words in the whole, all scripture at the right moment, but God who is rich in mercy, that's why, who loved us and took dead people and made us alive. You might remember the story of Jesus' friend Lazarus in John 11. What happens is Lazarus ends up becoming like deathly ill. He's on his deathbed and his sister sent a message to Jesus that he's sick. Right? Jesus, who they've known, has been preaching. He's been healing everybody. And like John chapter 2, the wedding reception is going so well. People are partying hard. They're having a blast. And they run out of wine. And Jesus is like, he's the guy who's like, I'll give you more wine from this, these jars of water, right? This is Jesus who we're talking about. Jesus they walked with and they say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Our brother's sick. Please come now and heal him. And so Jesus gets the news and he decides he's going to heal him. But for some reason, Jesus decides he's going to chill out for two more days. Like your boy, your homie is deathly ill. And his sisters, you could heal him. And your sisters are like, his sisters are like, hey, could you come and heal your bro your, our brother, your friend? And you're like, yeah, there's no rush. And so when Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He waited. And now Lazarus dies. So he goes to the tomb and he says, hey, open the tomb. Roll back the stone from the tomb. But nobody wants to do it. If you remember the story, nobody wants to do it because they're afraid he's been dead for four days. If you open that tomb, the smell is going to make us lose our lunch. But Jesus says, roll it away anyway. Roll the stone away anyway. And Jesus calls out to the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? We see Lazarus walking out, once dead, and now alive. So let me ask you a question. How much of that process did Lazarus do? Did he call himself out of the tomb? Did he resurrect himself? No. He did nothing. See, without Jesus, you are dead. Without Jesus, you can't rescue yourself from sin. Without Jesus, you can't free yourself from death. Without Jesus, you can't make yourself 
alive. It's not like you had a spiritual headache. Like verse 1 is not like, hey, you have a spiritual headache. Just pop some spiritual Advil and you'll be fine. Like you are dead. Someone has to call out to the grave to rescue you. Somebody has to call out to the grave to bring you to life. You need somebody to like Dragon Ball Z kick the devil off your back and jump on your back and grab the reins and redirect you away from death and towards life. You needed someone in your darkness to turn the lights on so you can see. And God, by his grace alone, did that for you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And all you have to do is put your faith in him. And why did God do this? Verse 7 tells us God did this for his glory. God loved you so much, he rescued you for his glory. So verse 9 says you have no reason to boast. You didn't do it. It was all for his glory, not yours. And so what we need to be freed from, or sorry, freed from is death. We need to be freed to life, but we are also freed for good works. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of us are so prideful and arrogant and think that God should accept us because overall, I'm a good person. If you're like that, if you're like me, you need to realize the danger of comparisons and repent of that because comparison you really need to have is comparison between you and Jesus. And instead of trusting yourself, you need to trust in him. But some of us feel like we never measure up to anyone's standards, and we never feel worthy, you need to realize that Jesus measured up for you and made you worthy. And rest not in your own works and the things that you do, but rest in him and on his work on your behalf. And when both types of these people put their faith in Jesus, not only does God free us to life in Christ, God also frees us for good works. See, we aren't freed for ourselves. You aren't freed for you. You're freed for him. And he wants to use you, no matter how good or worthy you think you are, to bring about good in our world. And what this should do, it should jostle us. It should wake us up. It should knock us out of spectator Christianity, where my relationship and God is, with God is all that matters. It's just me and God. That's it. And no one else. See, you weren't free to sit in the stands or even on the sidelines. You were free to be put in the game. When the pandemic began and our church was locked down, how many of us said, oh, I can't wait to worship in person again. I can't wait to go back to home meeting. I can't wait to serve again. I'm not going to take anything for granted. Like, I'm never going to complain about serving in Liberty Kids ever again. But how many of us reverted back to the same spectator Christianity we were a part of before? See, you were saved by grace alone, but saving grace is never alone. 
you are saved, you are freed for good works, Paul says. And notice, God prepared good works for you beforehand that you should walk in them. So that means today was prepared for me and I was prepared for today. 2022 was prepared for you and you for 2022. Monday morning, when you forget my sermon and you wake up and you're just like staggering around the, the kitchen looking for your coffee mug so you can get some coffee, that moment was prepared for you and you for that moment. Mission in a pandemic was prepared for you and you for mission in a pandemic. Have you ever thought about that before? It was prepared beforehand. God prepared for you me, Liberty Northeast, he put this moment, 2022, in a pandemic on our watch. If God wanted someone other than you, he would get someone else. If God wanted someone other than me, he would get someone else. But God has put us on the field at this time for his glory. So we must be a church that worships God and does life and mission together to invite the world to experience that same mercy that we've experienced. Not for our glory, not for Liberty Northeast glory, but for God's glory. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to ask you to do some things in 2022 to help Liberty bring God's God glory. And I'm going to talk about real quickly our values of worship, community, and mercy. Because God has freed us from spiritual death to life in Christ and saved us for and freed us for good works. This is what I'm asking you to do. First, I'm asking you to be renewed in worship. Grow in personal worship. I know that some of you have already bailed on the Bible in one year plan. All right, I know some of you have already bailed. That's okay. But still, carve out some time every day to read the Bible and pray. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 50 minutes. I do not care. The greatest single action I've done in my life that's changed my life is spend every morning reading scripture and praying. I don't feel like every time I get something out of it, but I know the discipline shapes me. It makes me more like Jesus. But I also want you to grow in corporate worship. Plan to be here. Sunday morning is a Saturday evening decision. It is. You have to decide on Saturday night if you're going to wake up on Sunday. And that's going to change the things that you do on Saturday. Me this year, I'm trying to go to bed earlier on Saturday. So I'll be wake up early and be rejuvenated to be here on Sunday. For me personally, I don't drink alcohol on Saturday night because I don't want to wake up groggy Sunday morning, and come to you all groggy. But those are decisions you have to make. Plan to be here. Make that decision on Saturday that you will be here. Some of us, it's like, oh, tomorrow it's going to rain. I'm not going to church. Someone's like, oh, but tomorrow, the next week's like, oh, Sunday, it's going to be sunny. I'm not going to church. You got to pick one. Or pick neither and just plan to be here. And expect God to show up here on Sundays. Expect God to show up in your life 
and in the lives of others. So you might look around the service and you're like, I'm not getting anything out of the sermon today. I'm tired. I'm bored. Whatever. I'm not getting anything out of these songs. But you look around and you're like, he is, she is, they are. God is here. God is here. To be renewed in worship, but also be renewed in community. Notice in Ephesians 2, all of the us language. God loved us. God raised us up. God seated us. You weren't freed alone because you weren't meant to live life alone. It's us. So get plugged into a home meeting. It's simple. I can tell you where to go. Pastor Kyle can. Any, pretty much anybody who serves can tell you how to get into a home meeting. Go on our website if you really need to. But also join a serving team just for camaraderie's sake. That will change you too. But just don't run out here on Sunday morning. As soon as the service is over, just run out. Even, even just stopping for coffee and talking to people is what I'm asking you to do in 2022. And I'm also asking you to be renewed in mercy. Help us fulfill the mission of, that God has given us by giving of your time, talents, and treasures. Jump into a serving team, which I already mentioned. Go on our website. You can do that. But also join service projects and cleaning days. At some point, we're going to clean up, help clean up this church. I need you to be like ready to go, work gloves on, let's do this thing. If you've got to be the guy with the knee brace or the back brace, that's fine. Let's do it. And then give of your resources. Like I said, we, don't often, we often love Jesus until he tells us what to do with our money. Don't just tolerate Jesus. Accept him in every area of your life, no matter what he tells you to do. And because when you're generous, it frees us as a community, as a church, to be merciful to, to others. Last year, we've, during this time of year, somebody in the neighborhood, their heat went out. We got them a new boiler. Like, you did that because you were generous. And tell people about Jesus and invite people to experience God and the other people at Liberty. See, people are being ridden by the wrong rider straight into hell. You need to tell them about Jesus. You need to see that as like, this is actually a rescue that I'm doing here. And Luke is what we're starting next week. We're starting the Gospel of Luke. That's going to be a great series to invite people to. We're going to talk a lot about how God loves the lost. But also one of our goals this, this next quarter is to have 100 people here on Easter Sunday. 100 people. So I'm asking everyone to think, and if we get closer, I'll talk more about this, but I'm asking everyone to think and pray over five people you can invite to Easter Sunday to hear the gospel about the and the resurrection of Jesus. But let's be renewed in community, sorry, worship community mercy, and let's do it all for God's glory. Like I said, it's not about liberty getting the glory, it's about God getting the glory. And so you and I must be renewed of our vision of what God in Christ has freed us from and to so we can accomplish together what God has freed us for. So let's pray, and we'll continue our service. If you're here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus and you realize that um, you have been sinning, maybe the analogy of the rider and the horse makes sense to you, and maybe it doesn't, but you just realize right now that you're sinning. I just want you to silently and privately just confess your sins to God and just, and just say, Jesus, like, I, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for my sin. Forgive me, rescue me, save me.
and for the rest of us, Father. May we be a people who really have a renewed vision about what you have saved us from and to, and that so we can do what you've saved us for. You freed us for these things, Father. May we do good works. May we look at. May we be uh, focused in on worship, community, and mercy. May we love each other. May we love our world. May we love you, not for our own glory, but for your glory. Be with us as we continue our service. As we come to the table, we ask that you would be present with us and that we be reminded of what Jesus has done for us time and time again today and this week, we pray in his name. Amen.